Welcome back to the Business We've Chosen podcast. There was a four-month break between episodes four and five, but I'm going to make an effort to do a few of these before sports start back up again in a couple months. Today is the first of those efforts, uh, the fifth episode of this podcast. By the end of the summer, there might be between seven and 12. Depends on how the logistics work with the next guests lined up. But I do think we should get to at least seven and probably nine or higher. Uh, Since March, I've been doing almost no batting, which is why, despite a lot of free time, I am recording this in June. There's also not really much to talk about when nothing's happening. Um, Anyways, the guest today can be found on Twitter, at CheckShoved. I've never met Dan in person, but we've talked online for a couple of years now. Dan has a lot of interesting experiences with the non-originating side of high-stakes sports betting, in addition to originating baseball himself and some esports with a specialty in matches that have already happened. Um, Dan also talks about his experiences in high-stakes poker games. Our esteemed guest today is none other than at CheckShoved. the fifth guest on the business we've chosen, Chuck Shoved. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Esteemed is probably a little too kind, but we'll <laughs> what go do with you? That. Um, is Chuck Shoved cool? Like, what do you want me to refer to you? you call as? me Dan. Dan is okay. fine. Okay. Um, so I guess we can just kind of start right into it. Um, I mean, if you want to start maybe with a little bit about yourself or how you got started or whatever, um, kind of like your origin story, if you will. Yeah. Um, I. Started, I guess my first experience with sports betting was in college. Uh, my stepbrother was one of my roommates, and we had another roommate who was from Nigeria who was, we were all really into soccer and spent hours playing FIFA every day. And one of my friends had the brilliant idea that we could fund a BetUS account and just parlay all the favorites and retire. Uh, Obviously, that didn't work out. So <laughs> I, I started with that, and that probably lasted, you know, like a month of firing a bunch of credit card deposits in. Okay. And then I kind of put it on the back burner. We had started playing at a small poker game at Rutgers. It's like a one-two no limit game. Rutgers mm-hmm. is where you were going to college. Yeah, I was in school gotcha. at the time there. Uh, so we were doing that. I started playing at casinos. Started playing a little bigger, and I went on like super super heater of a lifetime and ended up playing mostly every weekend at Borgato's playing 1025 and 2550 which were the biggest games there and then made a pretty bad mistake and started getting invited to private games in New York City and I was pretty green at the time so I estimate that I probably got hustled pretty badly when I started playing in those games because all kinds of shady stuff goes on when you were playing and, at Borgata, like what kind of is it Texas Hold'em? Uh, back then, it was just no limit. I, these okay. days, all the fish like playing uh, PLO, but back okay. then it was basically strictly no limit. Um, How good were you? Like, were you winning in these games? I yeah, I, I was on like the heater of a lifetime, oh, okay. and then started playing at these games in the city, and just got absolutely destroyed. Like, totally busted my entire bankroll playing in them. They were huge games. They would. Start off as twenty five fifty like early in the day, and most private games. If you're playing with a lot of recreational players, 
they tend to go in the direction of they start at one stake and then five or six hours in the stakes increase significantly. So the game would start around three o'clock usually on a Tuesday afternoon. And by like eight or nine at night, it, the stakes with straddles and everything could be kicked all the way up to 200, 400. And I was playing way above my head. And like I said, I was green at the time. So I didn't realize I was probably getting hustled and the drop in the games was insane. They, they could be chopping like, anywhere from 500 to a thousand bucks a hand which was totally criminal what does that mean uh the rake in the game so oh, they were gotcha. getting rich basically hosting these games so one of the dealers there gave me an account and i actually remember it was a yo pig account and i i was just dusting really bad on it um dropping like five or ten grand a week and I was so green at the time, I didn't know that he was either getting a huge percentage of what I was losing or just directly booking me himself, either sure. one was likely. <laughs> um, so yeah, I you know I went busto pretty bad from that, and I was involved in gambling Twitter, and I was a total maniac and got myself into a lot of trouble. I owed a lot of people money. Um, luckily, I, you know, I'm not ashamed to say it, I had pretty supportive parents, they bailed me out a few times. Um, so, you, you know, I fairly received criticism from some people on Twitter who like to bring stuff up from four or five, six years ago that, yes, I did owe people money. I was pretty bad about slow paying some people. Um, paid it all back. You know, shit happens. Um, so, yeah, from there, I, like I said, I, I went busto pretty bad and was in the hole pretty bad. And at that point, I, I, I my first degree at Rutgers was in criminal justice, and I was going nowhere with that. It was basically just the easiest thing I could have done at the time because I was gambling all day. So I moved back to New Brunswick and started working on my second degree in computer science, kind of with the idea that I would give the sports betting thing another shot because I, I was friends with a lot of smart people that I had met through Twitter and otherwise, and kind of realized that I had the foundation to maybe make it work, but totally lacked the discipline or the technical skills to give it a go. So I went back to school and it took me two and a half years to get my degree. And I was, you know, working on sports betting stuff as I was getting my degree. Finished up school. Um, I'd say like two months after I had finished, I had started betting baseball and I, I was doing small stuff like strikeout props and total bases matchups. And I, I don't remember what site it was, but I, I had made a big withdrawal in Bitcoin on one of the offshore sites at the time. And I was looking to trade it with someone for PayPal. So I went on two plus two and I had messaged somebody from the, high stakes transfer thread and randomly at the end of his message actually let me pull it up i could probably just pull it up yeah, uh, sure. i won't bother basically at the end of his message he said hey if you have any uh pph accounts i could play into them for you let me know and i i just assumed he i was like oh are you just like a runner for somebody or something and he was like no i run my own thing so i was like oh okay i was like do you bet strikeouts or total bases matchups for baseball 
And he was like, I have a guy doing strikeouts, but I'll give the total bases a shot. And then I had met somebody who was doing hits, runs, errors, props. So we basically just started blasting those everywhere with this guy. And a couple weeks into that, I had been talking to someone on Twitter um, who knew this guy that I was working with. He was like, oh, I used to work with him, but I know someone bigger. I'll introduce you to him. And from there, it kind of just took off. Um, so it's, it was really lucky, basically. I, I met the right people at the right time, and it was just total happenstance from messaging someone on 2 plus 2. Nice. When you're playing in those Borgata games, I guess, like, how did you learn how to play poker? Like, you say you were, like, getting lucky and stuff, but I assume you weren't just, like, idiotically I, playing poker. I, this, like, you must have was, still been a winner, or? This was in 2011, because it, the, the, game, the live game started getting good right after Black Friday. Um, okay. So, I mean, sites like gotcha. Card Runners were still pretty active, and I had a subscription there. And the group of guys that I was friends with at Rockers were, I'd say, like, fairly on the, ner- the nerdy side. And a couple of them were, you know, math majors and pretty into stuff. So we had a group of friends, basically, that, you know, were constantly talking hands and constantly right. talking game theory and stuff like that. Gotcha. So it, it was a pretty good support system for learning the game and taking off from there. Because prior to that, I, I went like full tilt and poker stars were still up. I would basically like deposit a hundred bucks or 200 bucks, run it up and then go and sit in like a two, four or three, six game and go and blast it all off and lose it all. So that was, <laughs> that was my process. I mean, your typical gambler, that's yeah. what I feel like your typical person without an edge does. That sounds like me playing on ACR this quarantine, except at like one cent, two cent and maybe moving up to five cent, 10 cent. <laughs> Battling all of the Russian bots. <laughs> Yeah, just like I've started playing in quarantine because I like poker, but I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, I just lost so much. It was unbelievable. And then not in terms of money because I was playing for tiny amounts, but like in big yeah. blinds, I was losing 52 big blinds per hundred over 4,000 hands. And then I was Isn't like it? looking at like what I was supposed to play and like trying to do the right stuff. And I kept thinking I was doing the right stuff, but clearly it was uh, very it's wrong. amazing. <laughs> uh, the amount of imposter syndrome that playing pot limit Omaha can give you it will just totally make you question all of your life choices <laughs> just because of like the variance and stuff yep yeah it seemed uh seemed pretty crazy um okay so i guess do you are you still playing in these poker games the the bit about I, like the game starting tuesday at three o'clock and like that sounds kind of interesting to me because the only real experience i have with that is watching molly's game which i mm-hmm. imagine is probably not that accurate um, so a lot take, of the talk players, us through like why don't you give us Dan's game or like a, a lot of the players go? in this game played in that game. Those games were first run by a guy named Eddie Ting. You can look him up. Um, he was arrested as part of that indictment, and I think went to prison for a while. So he he had sold off, and uh, Irv Gotti also ran a big game that was some of the same players. So when they were going away, they sold off their games, basically. So they said, you know, to this guy that ran the game I was playing, and he said, here's my players, here's all my contacts, you know, you give me a percentage of what you rake while I'm away. So it was a lot of the same players. The stakes weren't quite as high. They could get high later in the night, sometimes up to that level. But, I mean, the games had the makeup of basically like two or three pros usually. 
and they would typically be house players, which means that the person running the game would put them in the game and give them unlimited credit and sure. basically have the advantage of somebody playing for them and taking both rake out of the game and a percentage out of the game if the player was winning, and if not, their losses were pretty much covered by the rake. And that sure. goes on a lot in these home games, um, which is why the deck is kind of stacked against you from the get-go on top of the enormous rake that most home, good home games are taking. So you get those two or three pros and then just a bunch of recreational players. So that game, the particular makeup was a lot of real estate guys, um, a lot of guys from Wall Street. And then there were a bunch of like huge bookies. And that, that was really the crux of the Molly's game thing was the reason they all got in trouble was all these guys were betting with uh, Eugene and Ilya Trincher, two brothers, and I guess their father was involved with like the Russian mob, and they were laundering money through Cyprus. It was all bookmaking money. And it, it, it really wasn't a big deal the way it was made out to be in the movie. People tried to say, you know, they were funding terrorism and all this crazy shit. When it was really just them booking a bunch of like huge whales that were betting, you know, ten, twenty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars a game, like accounts you could only dream of, because these guys had money like that to be betting like that, and you know, like anybody with money, they they kind of want to have a sweat. So betting a grand or two grand a game isn't going to do it for them. So, yeah, it it really the Molly's game thing was a little exaggerated. Like I said, a lot of the same people played in the game I was in, even though the stakes were a little bit lower. I'd say it was probably a step or two below that game as far as, like, the poker ecosystem in New York City. Gotcha. And then how many, like, I guess let's say that you're playing in some game and it's usually 10, 20, and then sometimes it goes up to 50, 100 later in the night, but you're like looking for a different game, you know, like they're raking too much in the one you like, or they've got a guy in there. Like, how do you find a new one? You know what I mean? Do people so, move from one to one? Is the, it like, Oh, the, I was at this one last week, but the rake's too high. So I'm going over here. Or is it yeah, so the, hard the, to get into them that you just stay forever? The best way is to become friendly with the dealers because the dealers work at all different games all over the place. And, and the dealers, I assume, are not, like, actual casino dealers. They're just random guys who do this. Yeah, they're random guys. A like, lot I assume of they're play, as good at dealing, but... Yeah, a lot of them play themselves, too. Um, and But oh, okay. the, the dealing in these games is pretty lucrative. It's really not a bad gig if you have nothing else going on. The hours are fucking horrible because these private games can go on for 48 hours at a time. So you're sure. rotating a shift with two or three other guys for 48 hours and you're on and off for like an hour usually. So in that sense, I guess it could be pretty brutal, but yeah, the, the dealers always know people that run other games or deal in other games. So becoming friendly with them is usually a pretty good way to find your way into other games. Yeah. And I mean, I, I won't say like specific games, but I play in like the Bronx area now. And just from like, Playing in one game, this was before COVID, uh, everything moved over to Poker Bros for right now, but it's like, if you meet somebody at a game, and then they're like, you play there on a Thursday, then they'll be like, oh, hey, we're playing at this location on Monday, and you'll go there, and it'll basically be 60% of the same guys that you played with on a Friday at another game, so there's just communities of players all over the place, and, you know, these are mostly recreational players so it's guys that have money and 
a lot of free time. So they play three, four, five nights a week at different games. Okay. So there, would you say that there, how many people would you say like kind of live in New York city area and make a living only playing in these games? Is it nobody like the people that win in these games also go in elsewhere? Or are there a couple people that just like chill and print in these easy games? Um, or hard to know. So it's, it's, it's hard to say because a lot of what goes on is like I said, the, People that are playing in games have pieces of other games that are being run where they're chopping huge amounts. And even worse than sports is poker where you don't know like how much in makeup somebody is or who they're being staked by. or you know, It feels like a lot of people that you think are winning in poker are forever in debt and they're just getting put into these big games uh, forever seemingly um, through friendships they've made and stuff. So... It's hard to say, but I, I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say there are at least, you know, people who are making a living from being involved in poker, from playing in games, running games, having a piece of games, just in like Manhattan, anywhere from like a thousand to two thousand people, just because <laughs> there's, there's so many games every single night of the week. And like I said, I'm not even playing there. I'm playing more in the area between like the Bronx and Connecticut. So there's a whole other ecosystem yeah. there. Interesting. Yeah, I um, yeah, I've heard about games like that, but I've definitely never played in any sort of poker game for any sort of real money because I would probably lose. Um, so on the sports betting front, I guess are you? Would you say the main thing you're betting is baseball, MLB stuff, and then with some other stuff in addition? Or I yeah. guess what do you say is most of what you bet? All right. So I'll break it down i'm not i'm not really like a super fantastic originator or anything my ability in being able to do this is more in cultivating relationships and meeting people who both are good at getting accounts people who you know are part of groups and other people who originate good stuff um, so, you know, I'll introduce them to the right people and take a piece of whatever they're getting down. So, personally, right now, I, I do baseball. Um, I moved last year into betting sides after Pinnacle Limits came up. And I, I did okay. I, like I said, I'm not going to pretend I'm, like, anything super special. But I, I think there's something valuable in what I do and the, the time that I bet and that I can still win. And then I do smaller derivatives like props for baseball uh player props for football so it it's stuff like that where i'm really making more of my money and that's only because of the relationships that i've cultivated and the amount that i can get down on smaller derivative markets um the the baseball stuff you know i get a decent amount down myself and then have a few people who also bet it with me and I usually just take free rolls from them because it's not hard to get as much as you want down on an MLB side after pinnacle limits have come up. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm like blasting the screen for 10 K on those. I'll get down a bit less than that and get a little more action and free rolls from people. But you know, other stuff that I have pieces of that I've introduced, you know, friends to, groups and other partners that help get down it i do college football um I, we have really 
good Korean baseball going right now, um, hockey going during the year. I mean, pretty much year-round, there's something going on um, sure. from somebody that I've met and have a piece of through something else. So I'd, I'd say that's really what's allowed me to do this and be somewhat, I, I consider myself somewhat successful. I'm not going to posture and pretend that I'm like one of those end bosses that's going and tapping the screen a couple times and sure. printing money from Pinnacle. Um, it's more just about like I said, cultivating relationships and meeting the right people and maintaining those relationships. So what's um, being bet right now? Korean, like I, I'll say that since I was in New Zealand in March when the NBA canceled, and since then I have like not even bet anything. I bet stocks on Ace for like one day, um, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, so... The stuff I see, like going into accounts right now, the the Korean baseball stuff. I'm betting for somebody and like wherever I can. Unfortunately, what's been going on with why is the Korean that, baseball league still playing, but the American baseball league is not playing? It's just uh, the they figured out over there. Or that was that was the testing in Korea has just been way better. I think last week with the most new cases they had in one day in the entire country was 10 or something. Okay. So they, they just have it. Way How many teams are in the league? Is it like a full league? Like there's, the, 10, same there's, as the 10, there's 10 teams and they play every day of the week other than Monday. Oh, okay. Um, um, how does the like market work for this? I actually don't follow it too oh, okay. closely because no <laughs> I'm not the one originating it. I kind of just get the plays and yeah, go and get them in when they're sent to me. But I think they open usually around like midday Eastern time. I think usually if, if you follow Matt Lindemann, he's posting pretty good picks. Um, against I don't, openers, but I, usually. Uh, he's been suggested as a potential podcast guest before. Yeah, he'd, he'd be a good guest. He, he's been posting good picks that are openers usually. And I think the screen responds pretty rapidly to those. Um, I think somebody tweeted that some plays were moving 50 or 60 cents on like a small gotcha. favorite. And if I had to guess, I think limits are probably like five anywhere from like 200 to 500 at that point. I think that most of the PPH skins go up around 4 or 5 p.m. Eastern. Um, like, for instance, somebody just sent me the plays for tomorrow, and I think not even all the skins are up right now. Like I know metallic usually posts on the later side. Um, yeah. So I don't know if this can be trusted, but Don best says that it is not on metallic. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I don't need, I haven't had Don best installed on my computer since this all started because I had wiped my hard drive and didn't bother installing it again. Um, the yeah. They're not for up, the yeah. game that's in, there's a game in nine hours that is a $125 limit on the side right now on Sports 411. I was just going to 411. <laughs> Let me check Penny and see what they are. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the limits... So this is kind of like Mexican baseball open. type thing where it's... Well, kind of a chaos. little different than that because I think they there's a decent handle with nothing else going on and towards... Oh, yeah, I guess know, that's a good point. First pitch, they get up to, I think, 3,000 on... 411. Nice. Um, I think Pinnacle has been pretty low. 
um, from open to close, just like they have with all things lately. They're kind mm-hmm. of falling behind. But 401 seems to be doing pretty decent limits on them by the time you get to close. Yeah. This new pinnacle view is horrendous. Oh, yeah, the um, no more classic view? Yeah, it, you Bet can four, get it on... Does Bet487 four, still have it? Yeah, you can get it on 487. I'm going to pull it up through there. It's just gotcha. the agent accounts don't always have the same limits as like the main pinnacle site so right you never know what you're getting if you're looking at 487 right um okay so korean baseball i guess that's really all that's going on yeah, right now sports you post so, a bunch of esports stuff right so for the first like month and a half it was pretty cool i i don't really i'm not going to get into details of what skins or anything but a lot of sites started off a lot of pph skins started offering esports that never did in the past and in particular games, a lot of tournaments, they, they list like a start time. It's kind of similar to a UFC event where the fights have a listed start time. But if you get two early knockouts, the third fight's going to start kind of early. Oh, okay. So that happens with these esports games. And um, you get like a lot of games with pass posts or starting like into the game and you have a little more information mm-hmm. before it comes off the board. So that was pretty fruitful for probably like five, six, seven weeks. And then everybody started catching on. And I think I had tweeted, there was a screenshot that I posted where it was like eight canceled bets in a row that had all won. <laughs> and that, that was pretty egregious because that particular skin had, had them graded wins for the entire week. And then Sunday night at like 11.30 p.m., when I had started going into accounts to do figures, I got like six messages from six different people that are like, what the fuck, they canceled all these bets after yeah. they were graded wins for the <laughs> entire week, which I had never seen happen before. That's crazy. So uh, after that happened, um, certain skins have live betting that there's some things you can make work with that. So it kind of moved into that. And then I, I have StarCraft 2, which is a game I've played my entire life. It started with Brood War first and then StarCraft 2 when that came out. So I've always been pretty into watching the, those games, the competitive matches. And I, I know another guy who um, he has a model for it. There's there's a pretty good site called the Ligalac that keeps track of like all the StarCraft II matches that pro gamers play and stuff. And he said he's basically just using like a really simple ELO model using that site, and it's crushing. And I, I haven't even invested the time to build a model for it. I watch the matches, and in esports, like people refer to the state of the game and the gameplay as the meta. And in StarCraft, there are three different races, and they're, they're constantly putting out patches to balance how strong certain things are for each race. So if you follow the game enough, it's fairly easy to beat without a model, as long as you're watching matches for the past couple weeks you can kind of pick off the bad prices so i was doing that and getting really good volume on it actually i mean in the past like i mean they they still do have shitty limits on pinnacles like they're taking 100 bucks right now and the match starts in like 12 hours and it's the finals of what's called the gsl code s which is like the biggest tournament in the world for starcraft and they're taking 100 bucks on it but now, because COVID is going on, a lot more people are posting it off screen. So you can actually get pretty good volume on it. And 
I was posting some pics there just because, um, I mean, it, it couldn't hurt to get more people interested in it, have more people betting it. Maybe yeah. a bigger handle means bigger limits. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's not really, you know, it's a hundred dollar limit market and I'm <laughs> yeah. getting down everything off screen. It's not like posting the players should be that detrimental to myself long-term. Yeah. Um, what else besides those going on right now? Is that it? Um, like, so stuff that I'm not doing, but it's going into my accounts from groups. They have all these table tennis leagues that are going on that seems to be crushing. And then there are horse matchups that somebody else is doing that are crushing too. It's just all stuff that which, uh, which past, um, off-screen accounts have these? Because I feel like none of mine have any of this stuff. I'd rather not say which oh, sure. no specifically. I mean, if you know, if people want to dig into it themselves, they can. But mm. um, gotcha. it's just all stuff that basically off-screen sites are posting that they never would in the past, or maybe would have like twenty-five or fifty-dollar limits, and for whatever reason, like I guess the agent settings now they're allowing people to bet a lot more on these things than they usually would so it's actually worth mm -hmm. the time investment for people to go out and get accounts and be betting this stuff into them yeah looks like we got a match between uh sergey pishkin and nikolai pashkov in a <laughs> little bit here yeah and the the table tennis is insane because there's like 300 to 400 matches a day usually i know this dude um, sergey pishkin plays like eight times today so I, I think it's pretty crazy to me that any of these agents are willing to take this stuff. I, I feel like if you have half a clue, you kind of see 30, I think you 40 just... table tennis bets going <laughs> into you a day. And how I don't know. I've, I've like, seen some of those accounts on where people play. I've seen some accounts sometimes where people play like allegedly sharp stuff into it that, you know, like loses for years. Mm -hmm. I think there's kind of a high threshold bookies are just like, I just want this action. That's, I don't even, I don't even care it's a, if it's sharp. There's been so many sharps that have like lost, there's you know, some, that they're like, whatever. I don't care what you call it. Uh, yeah, I, I full, fully agree with that. I, because like I mentioned earlier, what I one of the things I do well is I meet other people who have stuff going on. And because of their, you know, connections I have, I can get down decent amounts. And I can't tell you how many times people have come to me with something and be like, this is the stone cold nuts. And then it's like, 10k later and they hit like 40 percent for the week and they're like i swear it was good i swear it was good yeah <laughs> and then you have to go and explain to all the people that you you helped like helped you get it down and apologize basically and be like yeah i guess this wasn't as good as i thought it was so yeah, yeah been, i guess i guess everybody <laughs> says they're sharp but once it comes time to actually bet stuff in accounts it's a little harder to win than most people think it is yeah for sure I think um, you mentioned that there was, um, on Ace specifically, there was uh, stock stuff, and they were doing weather for a while, too, and I think those were just, like, incredibly soft. And they were doing, was... um, yeah, they were doing stocks, and I was actually, I had been, like, grinding college basketball pretty hard when things ended in March, that I was kind of, like, re-upping some of my stock um, workflow and trying to make sure everything was working right to, like, get back into there. And then a friend of mine said that Ace was taking stock bets. And um, the algo I was using was I looked at the current price of the stock. And if it was different on the website, I bet under or over. See, <laughs> it was, this is I mean, funny it was because insane. we can you know, openly the, talk about something like this because I think they mostly pulled the market down. It's over, down. yeah, it's over. And, <laughs> and, 
So, like, there's no harm in exposing the edge, and you can just say just how absolutely ridiculous it is <laughs> that they would even offer something like that. Yeah. And I, I don't mind talking shit about Ace, because the guy who owns that skin is... He's, like, worse than Tony, I, if you've ever had to interact with him. Who's Tony? The, were, the Five Dimes guy? The Five Dimes guy. I've he actually just, never had an account there, so I don't really know much about him. But so I've heard the, Legends. The guy who owns Ace... Basically, like, it seems like he sits around in the office all day and he, he's waiting to look for stuff to hit a bunch of accounts at the same time. And somebody had found a way around it at one point that if they, they're notorious for spinning bets and then moving the line on you, like something ridiculous, like if you'll bet like over four and a half strikeouts, they'll move the line to over six and a half if you try <laughs> to bet it, which is like a 250 cent swing probably. And the guy, so somebody had that I work with had been calling in the bets because he found out if you phone them, they'll put the bets into the account without moving the line on you. And I guess they caught on to it eventually. And so the owner gets on the phone with this guy that I'm friends with and basically just tries to start like fucking reaming him out over the phone for like betting all this stuff in him. And it's like, why do you even fucking care? It doesn't affect you financially. You're not booking the action you just provide the service for the site but i guess the guy's just like a total fucking maniac and basically just tried to ream this guy out over the phone um pretty sharp guy who's moving stuff through there so i thought that was funny and that's comparable to experiences i've had with tony from five dimes in the past yeah um i yeah it was it was ridiculous it was one of those things where there was nothing to bet on and they listed this and i don't think many people had ace but there was you know, two or three weeks or two or three days, depending on how much you were working, where you could bet that, you know, Spirit, they, Spirit Airlines was going to finish over $13 when it was trading fourteen seventy. You know, <laughs> They're notorious for, like, offering all kinds of markets. I think because they, I think they just copy the Five Dimes board in a lot of cases, but those are bets that Five Dimes will take, like, $25 on, but if you have a really good Ace account, you can get, like, 1000 on it. So uh, well, I had really bad Ace accounts because I was like a hundred dollar limits on each. So then you have to like log into every account. By then the stock has moved. The lines probably it was just terrible. I was like, yeah, I think my hourly doing this is like ten dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had nothing else to do, so it was like yeah. fun to at least give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Um, yeah, but I guess the uh, some stuff seems like it's going to start coming back soon. Um, yeah, what is the uh, next NBA stuff should to be start? back. I think NBA. NBA will be back first. NHL hasn't announced a date yet. Um, baseball. Have you been betting any of the Sims? Those like esports okay, so, things or whatever. I, I mean, so, I follow people on gambling Twitter, so I saw all that, but I, I don't even really we know were, what that is. We were doing some of it. I'll give a little plug to somebody um, who I think is actually a very good follow on Twitter. Um, He's a professional better. He lives in Las Vegas. His handle on 2 plus 2 is DefNotRsigs. His old handle is rsigley. His Twitter is, you can find him by searching abnormally distributed. Um, he's a good follow for a few reasons. He he talks a lot of his methodology and he, he bets everything. He bets NASCAR. He, bet, he was betting Sims. Basically any new market he can find that he can take advantage of. Um, He's one of the few people who will kind of talk about where his edge is coming from, which is pretty rare these days. So, I mean, if you're trying to learn stuff, he's a good follow. He had found some sort of fixing going on in a few sets of The Sims. 
the thing about them is there's like eight different sites running their own sims right now. So I'm sure some of them are legit and some of them are. I think towards the end of the five dimes one, he had tweeted basically that I guess somebody had been controlling one of the teams with a controller and possibly had fallen asleep in an NBA 2K game. So none of the players on the court were moving so that the other team went up 81 to nothing. And then all of a sudden the stream just like blacked out and cut out and they never offered it again. And the streams were being run by Fonbet, which is some shady Russian bookie that doesn't actually pay people out. Damn. That's, uh, ridiculous so yeah i i I had a few people come to me with like different stuff like oh these i actually got a text today about like fifa sins or something with Mm -hmm. something shady going on but every time it happens it seems like basically you're at the mercy of the fix because they're definitely fixing some of this stuff but it comes down to getting on the right side of it and you know, whatever angle could be working one day may not be working the next, and you could wipe out all your profits fairly yeah. easily. Yeah, it seems pretty tricky betting on that sort of shit. So I, I kind of just shied away from it. I think at the beginning, too, um, I'd seen like a lot of NBA sims going on on Buckeye, and they were up like 30 or 40 units, and within the span of like 10 days they had dropped it all back so whatever angle they were using like i said must have either been caught on by the book or mm. you know who knows it's it's there's so many components that could go wrong and right just totally have the deck stacked against you with those that i've kind of just sworn them off at this point yeah that seems to make sense um let's see uh where, what do you want to talk about where, where should we go should we go to the next ones uh syndicate yeah. betting or poker i think no, we talked about all that stuff, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess when you're making... Uh, no, nah, I don't really want to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> sure, I guess whatever you were meaning by number four here, syndicate, group betting. Um, yeah, um, I, like I said, I don't want to divulge too much with this, but you see a lot of people talk about this stuff on Twitter, and it's kind of like misleading. It, it's nothing more than just you know somebody who has access to a bot and knows winning originators and they want to get down more the originator wants to get down more they say hey you know i'll offer you this amount if you work with me and we can bet your stuff out and there's like a weird shroud of mystery around it um the, the thing that kind of bothers me um is i'm not going to mention names here but you get people, well, I'll mention one name because I don't like him. Bill, you get people like Bill Crackman, who okay. are Philly Godfather in the same vein, that yeah. will have access to these accounts that syndicates or groups are betting into, and they'll take your, like, they'll take plays out of them. I and guess my, my initial line. question is, how do those two guys have access to anything that someone would want access to? Like, aren't they decades right, so, out of the game, or... I don't, it seems like how could those two guys? Have so I'll I'll kind of explain info? explain that because this isn't this isn't like groundbreaking stuff that's going to ruin anyone's edge or anything. I'm looking at a list of accounts that I have right now that are solely accounts that I have one on one with partners, um, not through like a group that has their own accounts or anything. And I have 47 accounts on the list, and out of those 47, one of the accounts I have 100 percent of. So 
there's so many hands in the cookie jar when you're dealing with these types of accounts that, you know, there could be 10 people with access to the login to one of the accounts that you're playing into. Right. So there's just so many eyes seeing this stuff that, you know, the, I'm sure these guys at one point, I know crack was like pretty amazing at getting big accounts and stuff. And when that, kind of dried up was when I think he started selling picks and you know it's it, it happened two years in a row with spring training and I, I like again I'm not going to pretend that like beating spring training makes you some like super sharp better it just comes down to following news and being the first one to get the news and get to a line and I, I had a I've had a good setup for that the last two years and then you see it's like would send out something get down on it and the line's could move as much as a hundred cents in spring training sometimes and you see <laughs> Philly Godfather tweeting like Blue Jays minus one twenty when that's what we bet it at and the line is like minus one seventy five when he's tweeting it. Right. And he's like, here's a free pick for everybody. And it, <laughs> it, it would just be the same sides every day. And that you know, it it may not be a function of copying directly from me. It's everybody's gonna end up on the same sides in something like spring training. It's just more often than not I was able to get to it first. And it was kind of funny this year because the first two weeks was something like plus 15 units. And then basically I think we got in like two and a half weeks of spring training. And over the next 10 days, it was like getting the best of every single line by anywhere from like 40 to a hundred cents and losing every single day. <laughs> so after that, after that first week, like a bunch of like the, the touts and then, the, the copiers and everything were blasting everything. And I got messages like, Hey, why is person X or person Y putting your plays in their accounts? And I was like, I'm not working with them. I wouldn't work with them. They must just be copying. And I, they weren't copying the first week where every, we all won money. They were copying the next week and a half with probably dropped like 15 units or something and ended. I ended minus three units net for spring training and they ended minus 15 units net because they started copying once they saw everything was winning. <laughs> There's a little karma um, involved in that. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it just comes down to um, when it comes to like these groups and accounts, you know, they, they find people who, you know, do this for a living. There are people who get accounts for a living for people. If you can find good outs, I, I think that's a pretty good way to earn. Um, and so, you know, they'll go to somebody and say, hey, I'll cut you in X percentage of my percentage. And then those people cut someone else in down the line. So there's just so many eyes on these accounts that it's really hard to keep your work contained. So that's why um, like smaller market stuff, I think is fine to do, but if you find some sort of edge in a huge market, I think it's important to kind of keep that stuff to yourself and try to bet it through like on the screen, as much as you can, as long as the limits are good. That way you're not really putting your information out there for everyone to see for free. Yeah. It's kind of like a both ways. You're going to reveal some amount of info. Got to try and keep it tight. Yep. Okay. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, yeah, I guess small versus large market. What would you consider the, what would you consider like the PPH small, medium and large markets? In terms I mean, anything of, I'm going to bet, I'm never going to bet on screen. I'm only going to bet on these accounts, but I want to bet Anything a lot. derivative, like 
any first half, second half, any sort of props, maybe the only like halftime bets you'd be making on screen would be NFL because the limits are pretty decent for that. But outside of that, you're looking at 500 on Penny or Chris most of the time. I more so mean uh, like the sports or something. Like, what would you consider the sports oh, I, that you could get a lot down with a PPH? Like, let's say that I've got a great total base model, great NFL model, great Bundesliga model, and like I want to just bet the max on it. You know, up to fifty million units on any um, of that stuff. Like, so what can I get the most down on through the PPH route? We can split this conversation into pre-COVID and then speculate <laughs> for post-COVID. Okay, sure. Pre-COVID. Um, I mean, I, we could just go sport by sport. Like, player props for NFL are always great. Um, and there's, like, it's kind of funny because there's pretty similar line set between different sites, but you have people who always see, like, a, say it's, like, Julio Jones, and one site will have, like, 62 and a half, and one site will have 83 and a half, and there's people that are obsessed with, like, trying to middle those, and... It's like pick a side and stick with it when you're betting into 30 cent or 40 cent lines and you're trying to like middle something for a couple hundred bucks. I I mean, I guess some people grind it out like that. It doesn't seem worth it to me. Um, It's a long grind that way. Yeah. uh, Someone's got to do it. So, and then, you know, like your standard first half, second half um, totals, team totals for NFL are pretty widely available. Um, Recently, Metallic in the last year or two started offering in primetime and national TV games, second half player props are just, are just hilariously bad. Um, those are pretty fun. And I, I, they're pretty good about offering unique stuff like that. So I don't see that going anywhere. I don't consider it detrimental to talk about it. Um, I guess we've got a baseball um, hits, runs, errors are available basically everywhere. And then you get like weird things like, Last year, it popped up first five inning team totals. Popped up a lot of places last year. Um, strikeouts have always been pretty strong. You just have to find skins with good limits. Some have ones better than others. I don't really want to discuss who. Um, what else for baseball? You have the total bases matchups, but that market basically got totally destroyed the way that was working was in the past, the Greek had been posting the matchups around 9 a.m. And their numbers were just awful. And every PPH would copy their number. And I I don't know if it was that the Greek didn't move on action, but the line stayed the same all day as what they opened them at. So even skins that would open props later in the day, you'd still get that same opening line that was posted on the Greek. So those were really, really lucrative for a long time. And then one week into the season last year, the Greek closed. And I guess Chris had bought them out. So then Chris started posting the matchups, but it was never the same time of day when they would go up. So at the beginning, I was kind of just watching the screen, waiting for them to go up because it's not like Donbass where you can watch and set an alert for like a game line because it's a prop. Um, and if you happen to catch the lines going up, the matchups are usually 30 cent lines to be like plus 100 minus 130 would be pretty standard for a matchup. And so you wanted the plus 100 and you'd pull it up. And I think they were doing like, it was, it was weird on Chris. Some days they do a hundred and some days they do two fifty. and you'd like pull up the plus 100 and 
put it in your ticket and go to hit submit and be like, now the line is minus 165. So somebody out there probably automated it and was just picking off all the bad ones and tapping two or three times. And the issue with that was that because they were blasting them as soon as they opened, uh, no PPH sets were copying that opening line. They were posting the steamed line that was pretty much bet into place. So that market's pretty much completely dead at this point. So that was the good part about the Greek was that they left whatever line they opened it at all day. So that was the line that got copied onto all the PPH sites. Um, what else do they have for baseball? Uh, one thing that was really good last year that more people started doing was total pitch pinnacle opened up their menu and they were taking some days, 250, some days, 500 on all sorts of different pitching props. You could bet earned run over unders total pitching out recorded over unders. They were doing their own strikeout numbers. And I, I forget what, there may have been one more. I, I could pull up a spreadsheet and see. But either way, they, they started doing some of their own props, which is kind of cool because you had some of the skins copying those. So those were a little, you could get a little more volume on those than in the past. Um, and then basketball, you've got player props or there's a couple different line sets for those all over the place. I don't, know anything about soccer props i mean it's such a crazy market that i'm you know there's like goal scorers and total cards and total corner kicks and things like that that i'm sure are probably pretty good it's just none of those are really offered in the pph scene because not many people are betting soccer there um and i think their lines are pretty criminal as far as the hold on three-way lines, at least, on most PPH sites, I've seen a lot of people complain about that. I don't really get involved with soccer, so I can't speak too much to it. Um, it seems like soccer is kind of like like major soccer, and not just props and bad lines and stuff, is mostly done not on PPH American accounts or something. I feel like I never, ever see... <laughs> any soccer in an account unless it's like yeah. live soccer or a team total or some error line. Yeah. Know? I think it's just because the, the hold is so insane and it's also the sort of thing that goes back to what I said before that if you, you're beating soccer, yeah, there's I guess absolutely the no reason like that you should be, or yeah, <laughs> that you should be putting that information out into the PPH market for like bad actors to go and steal it and blast the market themselves with it between like Asian markets for soccer and pinnacle and exchanges, you should be able to get down unlimited on the big five leagues. Basically when you say Asian markets, I hear people say that a lot. What does that mean? Um, so like a pinnacle, but it's I had my Asia first experience with that this year and I, I don't want to speak too much on it because I don't know how much sure. information the guys want out there, but they, um, we were working with some guys in Australia on a few sports. I'm not going to say which ones, but they, they basically have like a crazy minimum bet amount for partners. Um, and so they've had this, you know, a bunch of these massive accounts all over the world. And the main stuff they're doing is on these Asian accounts and the Asian accounts are with, it's like similar to here. It's PPH there, but these guys, these are guys in Macau and in Thailand and other places that are taking like just big six, six figure bets. Okay. But you're looking at like big five soccer leagues, World Cup, 
NBA and maybe like late week NFL. And that's about it as far as like these giant Asian yeah. markets go. Okay, I got you. So it's just kind of like a big PPH account. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple of huge PPH accounts, but it's yeah, it's been those sorts of things where extremely limited in when you can bet. But yeah. if you want to bet NBA sides five minutes before post, you can bet 100K. <laughs> yeah. And and even more with these Asian accounts, it's it's pretty staggering like what some of these guys will take and that yeah you know there there's like crazy stories and one of the things they said is the problem in those markets is they even worse than here because it's you're talking such large amounts there's a lot of stiffing that happens yeah um with those big accounts and i'm sure trying to swap figures around and things that would probably drive you mad if you're sweating you know I sweat getting a $2,000 payment from somebody. Sometimes imagine trying to get a thousand times that amount from somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah, that seems when you were at the poker games and like that NYC poker economy, how do people settle up in those games? Is it like the same so, as PPH or is it less? Yeah, so I, so you got to bring collateral. When I was in those, when I was in those games, looking back on it now, I like try to remember things that I saw happening that like at the time, didn't really make sense to me. But when I think back on it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is fucking crazy what these guys were doing. Like, a lot of the times, like I said, the bookies or agents would be in the game. And I guess they basically, they were mostly using PPH accounts. And I guess they just had, like, insane limits set on them. Um, but, like, a lot of times they'd have, like, an NBA game on at the table and they'd pull up a line from their phone, like a halftime line from their phone. And the guy would be like, all right, give me 25 on this. Just spent twenty five thousand dollars on the table, um, and the the settling in those games a lot of the time was actually nobody brought cash um, because you didn't want the games to get robbed. So there's a lot of settling with uh, personal checks pretty often, oh. which um, I guess isn't too bad if you're dealing with like people that you play with every week. Nobody's gonna like bounce a check on anyone or anything, and these are guys that have big money, so it's not like suspect for them to have money going in and out of their accounts all the time. It wasn't ideal for somebody like me, but like I said, I wasn't really winning that much in the game anyway. So it never became that much of an issue. for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Why do the people, I guess the people that play in those big games who aren't very good, is it just, they kind of, they like the game much more than playing in Vegas in some room, or it's just in their hometown. Uh, and they don't live in Vegas. Like why does, why is this ecosystem so big? It, it's a credit thing because you're just playing on the sheet in all of these games. So oh, okay. if, you know, they're on tilt, they say, you know, they could run up, I don't know, whatever their credit line is. I'm sure some guys in some of those games had million, $2 million credit lines that they could tap out if they wanted to. So that's, that's part of it. You can, I mean, there were guys at Borgata, there was this two legendary guys, one of them, um, everybody called him AOL Dan and he was, I think he passed away, unfortunately. He was the inventor of Magic Jack, I believe. Um, and he would come like he would come like once a year to Borgata. And at Borgata, they have $20,000 chips, but you barely ever, ever, ever see them on the floor because only like maybe like 10 to 15 super VIPs are able to get them when they get a marker there. So it was like him and this other guy, everybody called them Mustard Ken because they were yellow chips, but they were mustard colored. And they were like legendary to the point where like if they showed, they would usually show up around 4th of July weekend. 
So they showed up, you'd like look on Bravo and there'd be a wait list of like 32 guys for 25, 50 or 50 or hundred. When like normally if the game was running, there's not even a wait list. Sometimes it might play short, but everybody just wanted a piece of these guys when they would show up. So, I mean, cer- certain guys, I guess will get markers at the casino, but along with the Molly's game thing, a lot of these guys are kind of not the most uh, squeaky clean people. So they prefer playing in these private games where they can play on the sheet and get credit easily as opposed to like taking out a giant marker at a casino or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. How big do the casino games go? Like, at the, like if you guys, like when people say that you took this game to the casino, could you play bigger or does the Borgata restrict? You can only play 2550 or something. Borgata will run as big as you want um, as long as the people are willing to, to... the biggest, I mean, they, they play a big mix game there. That's like 400, 800, or at least they used to, but those are big bet games. So it's not right. 400, 800 blinds. Um, so it sounds a little bigger than it is. I mean, they used like, like I said, if there was like a VIP that showed up, maybe the biggest that ever ran there was 100, 200, and that would be like once a year, maybe. It was usually 1025 or 2550 there. And then I don't, I can't speak fully to the Vegas scene, but I think part of the issue that goes on there now is that you can host private games in casinos there now. And I've seen a lot of pros complain about how it's bad for the poker ecosystem because it's basically just going to piss off the people that are there playing every day that want to play in the big games and they're generating all this rake for these rooms. And at a certain point, they're just going to be like, well, fuck this. You know, I'll go to Boston where the new encore opened and there are big games going there. I'd rather pay rake there where I can play with anyone or they'll go to the hard rock in Hollywood and go play there because nobody wants to be paying hundreds or thousands of dollars a rake a week to a casino and then see a big game going in the, poker room manager being like haha fuck you you can't play in this because one guy called all these fish and asked to reserve a table um but you're locked out from being able to play in it so i think that's been like a big issue going on in vegas for years now are these private games in the casino yeah i've heard about that that's like a big politics game trying to get into them yeah interesting I, i guess which is no different than like a regular private game i just I think it crosses a weird line. You're not allowed to do it in New Jersey. That doesn't, I know gaming doesn't allow private games. So if there's a game being spread at the Borgata, anybody can get on the list for it. Gotcha. Um, Are a lot of people playing in these apps though? Like this, I feel like I've gotten, I don't even play poker and I've gotten 10 messages about, Hey man, like you can play on here and get whatever percent back of your friends who you refer. I got those like every day for two weeks. Poker bros is really big. Um, I hate to be like a conspiracy theorist guy because anybody who follows me on Twitter knows I'm pretty anti that stuff. But if you put enough volume in on that app, I I don't think their RNG is so random. There's just so many insane setup hands and two outers and three outers and crazy things that you see happen on there that, I mean, I, I, it's fine if you want some action. I just, at this point, after like two or three months of being involved in it, I, I lean towards, you know, just waiting till it's safe to go and play real poker again. Um, yeah, it seems like it'd be 
and there's a great there's opportunity also, for someone who knew what they were doing and a there's also opportunity for me. <laughs> a big issue in clubs and unions with you know teams playing against people and sharing cards um a lot of bad stuff is coming out in the last week or so about that and i, I i'm not gonna i don't want to swing you know accusations around without proof or anything or mention names or clubs but talking some like pretty big stakes games here like 510 and up online anywhere from like 510 to 2550 games in different clubs and unions where it seems like some really suspect stuff is happening um yeah. so yeah i i still mix it up a little bit but early on i was you know putting in hours and hours and now it's like kind of shady so kind of just taking a back seat and been looking more into the betting stuff uh as more stuff starts to come back um and poker's always been like a huge leak for me because i i haven't i don't think i would ever be able to be a winning player again at this point um the hours are insane the work you have to put in is insane and it's not that i'm lazy I am more just unmotivated in that aspect. I don't really see it as something super appealing to me. So, yeah, it seems uh, it's so weird because I, when sports stopped, I was just kind of doing nothing. I was like, hey, maybe I can learn this poker. On the one hand, everyone says that poker has been unbeatable for you know like a decade or mm-hmm. a long time. But on the other hand, it seems to me that like every poker player that I see is like kind of an idiot. So I'm like, <laughs> how hard can it be? But yeah, for my it, personal experiences, it was quite hard. <laughs> it was this weird arc at like the beginning of quarantine where like these games were amazing and all these people were dumping in them. And then, like I said, as you started like paying a little closer attention, it seemed like the same guys were winning every week. And yeah, it may have just been people at the beginning being like, oh, these games are crazy because like I said, these the random number generation on these apps may not be so random. So there was just crazy action going on in all these games. And somebody was always going to be on the good side of variance and talk about how great the games were at the beginning and maybe change their mind as things went on a little further into it. Yeah. It seems like one of those spots where there's probably someone doing a poker podcast right now, laughing about all the stuff they know that we don't, <laughs> you know, like, Oh man, these idiots are playing with us. Yeah. I, and there's like these, the idea of these apps started in China. There were these big games run on similar apps in China. And I think Joey Ingram had tweeted a few times, like somebody had slipped video out of like a, a room in China where there's like six guys sitting in a room with a bunch of monitors, all like sharing cards amongst all these games and stuff. And yeah, it, there's just so many unknowns. Um, I mean, I mean, cheating happens in big live games. It's, it's fucking insane. Like, I. What kind of cheating happens in big live games? Um, People like hand signaling mark- each other or something, or marking cards more now than anything. There's like special lenses you can get. Um, oh, you so can like wear sunglasses so that you could mark a card and see it with the con- sunglasses. Or contact something? lenses, so oh, it wouldn't shit. even, even be super shady. And I've, I mean, I won't say names, but like there was a crazy story out of LA where two well-known former athletes had cheated people out of a pretty big sum of money, and it's it's people who definitely don't need the money. It's a situation where like they were probably doing it for the rush and they wanted to like win probably after losing to these group of people for so long that 
they had you cheated using these sort of lenses or whatever. And I guess the people that had cheated had found out so that the people that got cheated went to the game organizer and held them up at gunpoint until the money that they had lost was returned to them. So you get crazy shit like that happening. So if, if people are cheating in live games, they're a thousand percent cheating in online games where it's even easier to share cards or make things happen. Yeah. So I, I'd say it's fine if you want to pass the time, but I, I wouldn't really treat it as a serious like money-making opportunity or anything. Yeah. Um, what else do you want to talk about? I think we've been going for like an hour and a half, or hour, hour, th- four minutes so far. Yeah, what bad. should we, I think we're, what else is on this outline that we could maybe talk about? Uh, gambling Twitter, Gen stories. I guess that would I guess be we could it, go maybe. through, I don't think there were too many questions, but if you want to go through some of those. Yeah, sure. Again. If you see any, read them out. Let me, I'm opening Twitter yeah. right here. Pull up my mentions. Looks like um, Mr. At Subtle Alterity made quite a lot of comments here. He seems to be the, yeah, uh, were, the winner. There were a few of those I didn't want to touch on, but most of them I'll answer. How do you plan on factoring in lack of fans? How would you divide home advantage between the following factors? Fans um, via affecting refs, travel, familiarity of the actual playing venue, or other? So for this... I my answer is going to be somewhat disappointing because there's no plan in place for baseball right now. And that's really all that I would be working on at this point. Uh, the, the biggest thing for baseball is going to be park factors. I think Seattle had banned any sort of public gathering. So I don't think the Mariners would be able to play at home. So where are they going to be playing their games? That's something that I would have to work on for park factors. Um, the no fans thing Honestly, I haven't really started doing much work on it yet. Uh, I will probably talk to some other people I know who do baseball and probably try to crowdsource some sort of solution there. I don't think it's going to be as much of an effect as you know, like your typical Twitter guy wants to make it out to be for some narrative. You're still talking about pitcher versus batter is going to be 90% of what you're looking at when it comes to baseball. Um, not BVP stats. I don't want to be misconstrued um, by saying that. I just don't think it's going to have as much of an impact as people are trying to say, just for the sake of conversation. It's more just where are they going to be playing the games and then doing the work on park factors for where those games are going to be played. The only other thing uh, that I've talked about with some people so far is that I think the smarter teams will... Uh, shorten their rotation if it's a super short season to either a three or four man rotation and they'll utilize their bullpens a bit more um, so they'll have their starter go three to five innings instead of five to seven innings maybe and pitch them on three or four days rest I think that would be the optimal strategy for most teams um, if you have a good bullpen obviously what would you um, say the then, optimal strategy is? Um, like, I don't really follow baseball, but it seems like it's starting to happen more you... often these things. Like, if someone was to be the, you know, quote, Sam Hinky of the MLB, would they, like, start pitching, you know, three pitchers, three innings every game? Or are those sorts of things going to happen? Or, like, what is the, 
what do you think is the actual strategic advantages to those sorts of things? Is there a I kind of a solution sh- amongst intelligent people or I think kind of with the short and season, it, it more just becomes, you know, you want your Derek Coles or your Jacob DeGroms or your Max Scherzer's pitching as much as you can in this span of 50 games or whatever it's going to be. So you need to devise the best way to do that. Um, and are there actual rules in the MLB? Like if you wanted to, cause you just, you had a Superman pitcher. Could he just pitch every pitch of every game? Is that legal? Yeah. They're the Impossible, only, rule that, they, the only rule that they instituted this year is that, um, there's a three batter minimum for relief pitchers. Um, I guess part of it was that they wanted to try to speed up the game, which is, Oh, wow, that's kind of, so they can't do those anymore, like, commercial break, and they bring in the new guy. Yeah, you can't go, like, lefty, righty, lefty to... That was brutal. I've only watched a couple baseball games lately in the last maybe 10 years, but I remember when I was watching the Cubs World Series, I was living in Chicago in 2016, they were, um, the games were just brutal, you know? (laughs) Commercial, (laughs) commercial, I'm not the target demo here, but I do remember that being pretty annoying. So, like I said, the optimal thing that, would you'd want to do in a shortened season with higher variances, make sure your best pitchers are pitching as often as you could possibly get them in the game. So I think, you know, logically it's have those guys go three or four innings uh, a few times a week rather than six or seven innings once or twice a week. Yeah. And then figuring out how to manage it behind it. And that comes down to managing a bullpen. That makes sense. Um, Hmm, what else is on here? Any other Twitter questions on here? Um, oh, I had Rick. Um, he said to ask you something ridiculous. <laughs> it was about someone I don't know, but I've heard about. Yeah, he said, um, Dan Chan? Don Chan? D-A-N-S-H-A-N. So, do you think that he is amazing or something was the question? Something like that. Is he the sharpest poster to come from betting talk? Oh, 1,000%, no doubt. Um, <laughs> no, he he's an interesting figure. He he popped up on betting talk when it was like at the tail end of when there was still some legitimate discussion going on there and still some fairly sharp people posting there. And for whatever reason, he, he basically invaded every single thread and was just posting nonstop dribble. And the only people that were still posting there, it was like I was posting some stuff, uh, pretty sharp guy, go bucks too, was still posting there and a few others. And he basically just made it so insufferable that every time you open betting talk, you'd look at like the last 15 threads and every single reply would be him. And it got to the point where he was like, quote, replying to himself sometimes and nobody said <laughs> anything back that it just kind of killed off the entire forum. And I, I wasn't in the RAS um, Slack chat from the beginning, but I, somebody had mentioned that he popped up in there and Edward gave him, like, he was like, yeah, I'll give you, like, a three strikes or out policy or something, and he lasted, like, three or four days in there before he <laughs> was banned from it. So I, my understanding is he's, like, an older gentleman who has a lot of money. I think he owns a bunch of pawn, successful pawn shops or something. And he kind of just took an interest in sports betting and started off on like SBR forum and worked his way into other forums and then Twitter through there. And he's just like, 
there's there's a subreddit called old people facebook where it's just like old people who don't know how to use social media at all and i think he's the gambling twitter version of that he, okay. he just has <laughs> doesn't understand online etiquette whatsoever and uh, gets under people's skin i guess gotcha yeah there's a lot of um i feel like people in the sports betting community or maybe just the online community in general are kind of uh Everyone's looking for a fight, you know? <laughs> it seems like when people are commenting, it's just like... Okay, I, I just pulled up the messages I got from GoBucks, and he said, Dan Chan lasted a day in their ass Slack chat. They asked him to condense his messages into paragraphs or summarize, and he got mad and deactivated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, who else in the gambling Twitter? Have you? Is there anyone that you've like met through Twitter? It sounds like you've met quite a few people in through kind of like odd unique interactions yeah i've met a majority of the people that you know i work with or i'm friendly with at, at one point or another um i don't i don't think i really have any bad things to say about anybody i've met nice. on twitter I, I met one guy out in vegas who like I won't say his name, but he was basically like sucking up to me the entire time that that we were hanging out and then like eventually ended up stiffing me a bunch of money and was like, oh, you're a loser, you're this and that and all these other things. And it was like weird because when we were hanging out and there was other people around, he, he was just like super all about like hanging out and trying to be friends with everybody. But then when he owed me money, he was like, oh, I never liked you anyway. So that was like one of the only weird negative yeah. interactions I've had with people meeting in person. Yeah, I haven't really had too many, too bad um, interactions. I've had a couple people that have like tried to get me accounts or tried to like, I don't know, get me in trouble or something. I feel like I've had a couple people on Twitter that are like, I'm going to like tell on you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> go, okay, go for it. <laughs> yeah. And like unsolicited, I've, like my first interaction with someone, they'll be like, gotcha. I mean, I, I get people who like try to send me like, it happened the other day, I guess somebody, some guy who's friends with Philly Godfather was tweeting all this crazy shit at me in like a threatening manner. And was like, Oh, I, I know you're, we're both from New Jersey, Dan, like, uh, you better be careful what you say. And I'd say that's probably happened like at least a hundred times now in my time on gambling Twitter. Uh, I read my message exchange with him. It was pretty funny. And he said, you think wishing a family dead's a joke? And I said, Oh, I guess I found it funny. You hanging from a scammer's nuts is a joke to me for sure though. He said, I don't care about you calling people out, etc. If you wish a family dead, there'll be issues. That's all I'm saying. I sent a thumbs up back and he kept going and he said, I have zero issues with 99%, but when you wish a person's family dead, come on. I said, I don't really care. Your buddy is the biggest piece of shit on Twitter. <laughs> it would be cool if you had the same energy about him being a scammer as someone making a mean comment that obviously wasn't serious. And then he said, scammer versus kids dead would be cool if you filter your energy to proper places. You're from Jersey, Dan. Don't think things come, don't come back at you. I said, you say that like you're doxing me or something. Everybody knows who I am. I, I'm not <laughs> anonymous on here. I guess I'm shaking in my boots. And he said, statement, not a threat, but you know how it works. And I said, yeah, the same way the last 100 statements or threats have worked. They're totally empty. So that <laughs> happens kind of frequently, I guess, because I'm somewhat inflammatory on Twitter. Um, I don't think a single person has ever come up to me anywhere 
when I'm with a group of other people from Twitter and said anything negative to me as far as I can remember. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that happens a lot, and no one's ever done anything. Uh, there's there's another guy who um, I hung out with in Vegas, and he it was, like, a little weird hanging out with him. I won't say his name or anything, but he it was another thing where he was kind of, like, you know, being all buddy buddy and then i guess a few months later i had made fun of one of his friends on twitter and he sent me a message saying like oh if i ever see you again i'm gonna beat your ass and it was just like very funny to get that message um because we know a lot of the same mutual people and i was like okay i I mean sure because the only time i'd ever see this person would probably be in a casino at vegas and that's always one of my favorite things when somebody's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to fight you in a casino. It's like, if you've ever seen a fight go down in a casino, it's pretty awesome. You see guards come out of like holes in the wall that you didn't know exist. And they're like <laughs> smothering people the second something starts happening. So it, it's just the usual nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else do you want to talk about? Anything? I think we kind of covered most stuff. Um, oh, uh, subtle alterity asked why I got banned or blocked by Alan Boston. Mm. That was like a fairly long run of trolling things that he was saying. Um, I, I have I've used tweet delete recently, but I guess some of my recent tweets to him um, finally just like set him off. I'll. Try to read them because I know you're a big fan of. <laughs> yeah, I just I uh, I feel like I stuff. I try to troll him with good intentions. <laughs> yeah, so easily uh, trollable. I don't dislike him or anything, but the man uh, he certainly says a lot of the same stuff. And then especially with the coronavirus, stuff, you know, like all right, so I, to go I, all I in last, and then try to reverse like three months later. <laughs> I have my last three tweets that I sent to him that guess up were like the final straw for him. He tweeted, just saw a commercial showing the plight of polar bears. I am now having a major breakdown. And I said, want to join some good poker bros clubs, Alan? Seems like you need something to do. (laughs) I didn't get a response to that one. Then the next one, this was the one that got me blocked, finally. He quoted something about those... murder hornets that ended up like not being a thing it was just like one of those stories that took off on social media and everybody was like oh my god this is crazy and he said our world is so fucked if bees are not in enough trouble now this this is devastating (laughs) 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 yeah (laughs) so i said when you step on an ant do you have an existential crisis for two weeks and lock yourself inside And, and and then i didn't get a response and then five days later he said in all in caps, no existential crisis. I do not step on ants ever. And I said, "How could you possibly know? Surely you have stepped on bugs before without realizing." <laughs> and he said, That's "Are you always that. an?" He said, "Are you always an asshole? I shall not wait for your answer. Go bother someone else with your nonsense." And that, that that was the final straw that got me blocked. Here's a Twitter question from Whale Capper: If you have an edge, how do you scale? I like that question because it could be split into two parts if you're talking about like a real market or a smaller market. And I kind of touched on it earlier. I think the best way if you're involved in a smaller market, um, like we mentioned earlier, with like the esports pass posting stuff or, or like the ace thing, you basically just want to blast that for as much as you can um, because there's no way stuff like that's going to last forever. Um, so, you know, talk to people, you know, that seem like they're involved. Um I'm always looking for people that have something with an edge 
that I could help get down. There's plenty of other people that do the same thing. Um, so with something like that, um, like something super small or derivative, you kind of just want to be as aggressive as you possibly can um, and extract what you can out of it while it's still around. Um, and then, like I said before, if you're if you find that like you have an edge in some big market, you kind of want to keep that as close to your vest as possible, um, because there are a lot of bad actors that can basically see anything that's going on in the PPH market at any given time, and it's not going to be too hard for some of these people to figure out what you're doing and go and do it better than you, or go and beat you to the market with it. So, um. It, like I said, if, if you're talking a big market, I think you want to find a few people you trust. Um, talk to them. You know, depends. This is bankroll dependent, too. If you're super rolled, you want to go and bet it yourself. Um, stick to the offshore sites. Um, you know, hit the screen with your plays um, because almost nothing is a secret off screen anymore. If something's good, you maybe have two weeks of betting it before it starts getting copied by other people. And then there's all sorts of issues that come with that. Like, you know, somebody beating you to the lines before you can fully get down. Um, somebody reverse engineering something that you're doing or worse, just getting a market nuked entirely and just totally pulled from a site. And which is always like totally awful when that happens. So if, if you, think you have an edge in a large market um somebody mentioned kelly betting and i think they were joking when they said 1x kelly i think part of the issue is that personally i feel um you need a couple seasons to really get super aggressive with kelly betting i think the first season i did baseball was using like quarter kelly and then eventually half Kelly. And then eventually it got to the point where if you're betting with partners or you're betting in PPH accounts or multiple people, it, Kelly betting just becomes so unrealistic to use because you're needing to get down such specific amounts into a dollar range that like splitting the bet amounts between all these different accounts to exactly where you need it to be becomes extremely complicated. So I think that really only works if you're talking like NFL or betting super late in major markets where you can kind of control how much you're getting down between two or three offshore accounts versus needing to get down a lot more off screen because there's so many, like I mentioned earlier, there's so many percentages involved with betting through groups and partners into off screen accounts that you're basically at the mercy of saying this is kind of like the general range of how much I want to get down. And, you know, you start playing what you get and you go and you do your figures at the end of the week. You don't really, you know, every day is going to be different. And that also comes with getting accounts shut down or getting limits lowered that one day you could get a really good amount on something and then may lose a couple of accounts and have to go and restock them and find that you're getting less than what you were getting previously. So it's, it's a pretty nuanced question. Um, but yeah, like I said, when I started baseball, it was like a quarter Kelly. And after two seasons of doing okay, like I said, I don't want to posture as like I'm some insane bait, like baseball market crusher. I, I do okay. Um, my technical skills aren't insane. I do most of my work 
in Python and SQL. And when I got my degree at Rutgers, <laughs> Python wasn't even really a thing yet. So it was more self-taught after I had a better foundation from things that I had learned there while getting my degree. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of getting off track here. Oh, yeah, um, no worries. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that this it's question... It's hard to really know people... when you have an edge in a major market. It, it becomes, you know, maybe I found something that's going to work really well for a couple months, and do I get super aggressive with it and try to extract what I can from it? Or do I try to play it safe? And then by the time you're kind of, like, rolled to be a little more aggressive, maybe that edge you had was gone. So, Yeah, I think that of the people that ask a question um, like that, you know, if you have an edge, how do you scale? It's like the scaling is not very difficult, I don't think. It, it definitely doesn't happen instantly, and you could run bad and do stuff wrong and get a little unlucky. But if you kind of stick at it with a brain for more than two years and have an edge, like you will get... Um, not rich, Cliff. but you'll make some money pretty yeah, quick. It's it's pretty easy if you're doing well at something um, with how many people are kind of, you know, keeping an eye out on markets these days. If you have an edge, you're going to get a lot of opportunities to really scale up as big as you want. Um, yeah, and even if like, you got none of those opportunities and worked by yourself forever, like you could go from a $100 bankroll to a $50,000 bankroll yeah quite then, comfortably within a year you know there, you, there's yeah i'll give two examples here there's one was with me personally um last year i don't remember what it was i think it was spring training that caught somebody's attention um and they they were booking but also ran a big group and i guess somebody had gotten an account from my plays were going into them and it was like two weeks of just straight crushing them so they're they hit up the agent and they're like give me this guy's information i want to talk to him and I, that was how i made a connection that way so there's the smart bookies at least are always looking for somebody who seemingly has an edge and they're going to go and bet it themselves so that's a good way to make connections i guess if you're involved in the off-screen market um and then the second example is i know a guy who um started with a hundred dollar bankroll and he's not really super involved in the off-screen market but he opened up like 25 accounts on 25 different offshore sites and in a year had gone from a hundred dollars to probably like anywhere from 90 to a hundred thousand dollars and he was betting all kinds of crazy derivative shit like when bet online posts those like promotional odds or like he was betting stuff like the grammys or yeah. like the super <laughs> super novelty stuff if if you work hard enough at it, you can really grind out pretty sick profits doing that kind of stuff. It's just not for everybody. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Agree. A lot of work. Um, all right, let's see what else we got here. I think this is probably good, right? We got uh, yeah, an hour and should. 30 minutes here. Yeah, we should cool. be pretty good there. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, thank you for coming on. Um, and I guess we'll talk to you later. Yep. See you. All right. See ya. Bye.